Hey there, listener. Audio producer Robin here. Carlos and Sean are away this week, but we'll have more free press sports for you next week. In the meantime, we have an episode of The Pistons Pulse for you. In this week's pod, Bryce and Omari continue their review of how the Detroit Pistons fared on draft night last week. If you like this episode, please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to The Pistons Pulse. And with that said, here's the show. Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. I remember to unmute this time, Amari, rookie mistake <laughs> on Friday when we were recording. Um, you know, I know we were both kind of sleep deprived. Our man Wes always joining us for these episodes. He's a little under the weather, guys, but he's rocking with us. He was there on Fridays here with us today. Get those questions in, guys, starting segment two and then through the rest of the episode. We'll try to answer as many of those as we can. So thank you for everybody joining us live. Thank you for everybody listening on podcast platforms. If you're on Twitter, wherever you're listening, we appreciate it. Omari, we're a few days removed from the NBA draft now. You've had a chance to interview a couple of these guys. We've had a chance to reflect and think about things. Let's just start off the episode revisiting draft night. Pick number five, Troy Weaver's on the board. He takes a star, Thompson. Where are you at with that pick now that you've had a few days to digest? I think it makes a lot of sense for the team and just where they are. I mean, if you look at the boxes, they need to check. Uh, just from the wing position this summer, uh, you want playmaking, you want defense, you want athleticism. Um, obviously, you want three-point shooting. And with a star, you get that minimum three of those, right? I mean, he was, uh, I mean, there's been some debate as far as just how big the playmaking gap is between him. And his brother, since he played off ball, Asar played off ball more, that overtime elite. And in the NBA, that could really pop just with NBA spacing and uh, rim running and whatnot. Uh, so I'm curious to see just how that looks uh, with the Pistons next season. Uh, the athleticism, the defense, they're extremely high on. Uh, Trey was very clear that he thought that Asar had the potential to take the toughest assignment uh, defensively and take pressure off of Jaden Ivey and Kay Cunningham in that area. And really just the one thing that, you know, probably just knocks it or kind of makes you wonder just how the fit will work is just the shooting, given that he was around a 30% three-point shooter and he went 15 for 39 in the playoffs. And that does show, I mean, that was like seven or eight attempts a game, like 7.8, I think. That does show that he has upside as a shooter and uh, the star has to shy away from talking about it that he knows he needs to get better. So if the shooting comes together and he doesn't need to be like a knock, even if it's just 35%, I think that that, with everything else he has, I mean, just his downhill ability, that that could work. So uh, I, I see the vision that they're going for uh, with Asar, and if it all works out, I mean, if he's remotely close to Andre Iguodala, uh, that was Troy Weaver's comparison for him, then obviously that's a fantastic pick for him at number five. So I think that kind of coupled with just the way the, the board shook out, you know, seeing Cam Johnson, I'm sorry, uh, Cam Whitmore, <laughs> Cam Johnson, Marty Free Agency vote uh, falling as far as he did and whatnot. Uh, just there at five, so I probably checks the most boxes you could possibly get uh, for that pick. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever you take a man out of the equation because he was drafted number four, and then you essentially take Cam Whitmore off the board because... I mean, at the end of the day, he fell to 20, Amari. So it wasn't just the Pistons that took him off the board. There was other teams in the lottery. There was other teams. Like Utah had a second pick, I believe, at 16. They didn't take him either. Some teams like the 
are good teams that could have taken a swing on a young top five talent. They passed on him too, Amari. So you essentially took those two guys off the board. For me, those other four guys, Taylor Hendricks, Anthony Black, Jairus Walker, Asar, were all kind of in the same tier. And to me, what it may have came down to if I was making that selection, even though I do have questions about Asar, was do I really want to go just get a true wing? And to me, Asar is a true wing. And I'll say about the passing, Amari, I think he's a plus passer for a wing. If you're playing him at point guard, then I have questions about his passing. But if you're playing him as a wing, I think he's definitely a plus passer. And as you said, he checks some of the boxes this team needs. I want to reiterate this. This isn't a team in a place where you can check check off every single thing they need in one offseason, Amari. I know everybody's worried about the shooting. I get it. But everybody was complaining about the defense also. And at the end of the day, you got one of the highest upside defenders in the draft. I think he has more defensive versatility and impact potential than Jairus Walker. Maybe not day one, but I think he's better guarding like true wing perimeter players than what Jairus Walker would have done. Taylor Hendricks, not just, but was just a rim protector so I think there's an argument for Anthony Black right I think you would push back a little bit and say Anthony Black at least is a day one better defender but at the end of the day a star can come in give plus level passing he's a ball mover good fill and I think he's going to make an impact defensively especially on the ball he's got some things he's got to get better at and some bad habits to rid himself of but I mean if that stuff hits that's a really nice addition to this team and back to the shooting too and I want to credit uh, Keith Blackstreet Doe for pointing this out on Twitter because I thought it was a great point uh, that the Pistons have shooting right like you have Alec Burks you have Boyan and then you look at guys like Ivy, uh, Kate Cunningham, obviously, Isaiah Stewart, just players on the team who have shown that they can shoot. Isaiah Livers, uh, players who have shown that they can shoot. And uh, you just see the upside there. Like, I think at least probably three of those guys you probably expect will at least be average shooters, uh, if not next season, then eventually. And you can help shooters hit higher percentages just by getting better shots for them, right? And the Pistons were obviously playmaking efficient last season with Kate Cunningham being out. And now you add Asar to that. So even though he doesn't shoot himself, he can find open shooters and he can help get guys in position to hit those shots. So uh, do they need shooting? Yes. But, you know, is it a situation where they're like desperate for it and you have two 40% guys already on the roster and uh, you clearly have players who could kind of grow into those roles? It's still a pressing concern, but I, I understand the Pistons' standpoint of basically saying, Asar does everything else. You can be taught how to shoot, but we're just going to get somebody who can really process the game, really up our athleticism and, and defense and just generate more open catch and shoot opportunities, you know, make Jaden Ivey's life easier, make Kate Cunningham's life easier, get them open shots. And then maybe eventually you'll get to the point to where you're just clicking on all cylinders. You can eventually cross into like that top half of the NBA as far as percentage. And remember, they have $30 million in cap space to, I think there's at least one more rotation piece that they can add. I mean, I don't think they can add a lot and we'll get into that a little bit. I think they, they already have 12 guys on the roster, Omari. We talked about this a little bit on Friday. They can't go out and out. I mean, they can go out and add a ton of guys, but then maybe you're not giving minutes to guys that you want. And we'll talk about Marcus Sasser in just a second, but that's another guy who shoots the ball really 
really well, Omari. So I'm with you. And here's the thing. We've talked about this before. If Caden and Jaden don't shoot, Omari, if they don't shoot the ball well from three, none of this matters anyway. Neither of them are going to become the players that we all think they're going to become. If Isaiah Stewart doesn't become a 35 to 37% three-point shooter, he's not going to be the player we want him to become. It's not going to, like, this thing may not end up working. And to your point, and that is a great point by Keith Black Trudeau, good offense usually leads itself to better shot-making percentages. When you get good looks, when the ball is popping and the ball is moving, and I do think that that's something Asar should be able to do. My worry is what if Asar regresses, loses confidence, and shoots 25% from three and just is a complete non-shooter? And then I think the the worry with the SAR, the floor is like Isaac Okoro, where you almost can't even play him because all he does is defensive. But man, he's so athletic. I, I think as long as he finishes at the rim, they'll be okay. But yeah, I think you can put out, like, are you worried about floor spacing in a lineup? We don't have to like say, this is what we think it should be. But if it's Cade, Ivy, Asar, Boyan, and Duran, are you really that worried about spacing? I mean, Ivy knocked down open catch and shoot threes last year. We assume Cade is going to knock down open catch and shoot threes. We know Boyan can. To me, I don't think that lineup is craving spacing that much. And if it is, it's because Cade and Ivy aren't, haven't gotten better as shooters, and that's a bigger issue. Yeah, I think if you're worried about spacing, it's just because players haven't improved as much. But if Ivy can hit 35%, K can hit 35-36, you know, Boyan's a knockdown player. And then you also, I mean, Duran's going to pressure the rim a lot. Obviously, Asar and Ivy are going to pressure the rim. Uh, At least three of those guys are all plus passers. Uh, Duran maybe could get there down the road. He might be that next season. You know, I don't want to say he won't be, but uh, you know, one through three, you're getting plus passing. That solves a lot of problems. Like, you know, you could, you have ball movement. uh, You could have creative schemes to get guys open. And I think you were probably fine, right? I mean, like you always want more shooting, but I think we talk about playing five out and this and that. And like, that's really hard to do. And just the way the Pistons are constructed, they have drafted a lot of players who, uh, just needs to work on their shooting. Uh, you know, I, that K and Ivy kind of fell into their laps, right? You know, that, and K did shoot really well in college, so you believe he can get there at some point, except to say how much the shouldn't bother him. But I look at that lineup, and I, I think I feel pretty good. I mean, you check a lot of boxes, you should be pretty good defensively. Uh, the shooting is the shooting. I think it's good enough. And I want to revisit the Hamadou Diallo, because I, I feel like I was getting a lot of that on Twitter again. And I just want to touch on it real quick, Omari. Asar Hamadou Diallo is like, I understand the comparison. I get it. But what's one thing we always talk about with Hami that we wish beyond just the shooting, we wish he had a better feel, that he was a better passer, that he was better defensively. Like all those things are what we believe Asar is going to be. And I believe at least in the passing, I think defensively probably as well. Of course, there's a floor there where he is just essentially a six foot seven Hami, but he's younger than Hami. He's longer than Hami. He's taller. He's younger. And I think the feel for the game and all of that is going to be better than Hami as well. So, and at the end of the day, Omar, I don't know how you feel. I thought Hami was a somewhat productive player in the role that he was in last year. And that's not what you want from the number five pick. But again, that's just like a floor comparison, like just to give Pistons fans an idea. I don't think anybody thinks that he's actually going to be Hami. To me, Asar, what you're hoping is the Andre Iguodala comp, Amari, with 
maybe like an Andrew Wiggins type of archetype if he figures out the shooting, right? Like maybe he does that kind of stuff offensively if the shot comes around and he adds a little bit more to it. But that's kind of where I'm at. I think Asar got a lot of uh, harmony comparisons just because, you know, people tend to compare players to the players on that team, which is why people are also comparing yeah. with Bortz and Sadiq, which we already kind of went over. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but Jarris I think Walker Asar, and Isaiah Stewart, like it, 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 it makes sense, right? Like I, I understand yeah. Why, like, I even default to it sometimes. You know, I think with a star, uh, actually, actually, like, like Wiggins, much better as a comparison for him, just as somebody who's a very naturally gifted athlete, has the tools to be really good defensively. Uh, you know, some some playmaking mixed in there. Um, Wiggins probably is a, has always been a better shooter than Asar has been, but you know, Wiggins was also you know the first overall pick, so you know that's kind of the, the difference maybe in their evaluations. If Asar were uh, an average or knockdown shooter, he probably would have been on that, that top three or four range as well. But it just speaks to just how good he is in other areas of the game that uh, you could probably feel pretty good putting him in most lineups. You may even be able to play him at the one, you know, next to Alec Burks if you want. I don't know why you would do that necessarily when you have Cade and, and Ivy, but you have a lot of positional versatility with him. And uh, really, you can just never have enough guys who can defend multiple positions and uh, raise your athletic floor as well. And he does all that, and I think it's going to be productive for him. There was another ended up being a first round pick on Thursday night, Omari. I know I'm a fan. I brought up this guy's name. We've talked about him. We can talk about value till the sun goes down, Omari. You know, whether trading up six spots, whether even Troy needed to do that. I don't know that I believe he needed to do that. But at the end of the day, they added Marcus Sasser, Amari. I think a really good player. He shoots it really well. He's a little bit undersized. That's going to be the biggest knock on him, but he's a good player. I think he's a culture guy. And I want to talk in general about what they added with these two guys, but let's just get your thoughts. Again, three days removed now, some time to think about it, review it, interview these guys. Where are you at with Marcus Sasser? I mean, I love his game. I really do love his game. Uh, I was a fan of him going into the draft and after just watching a little bit more film of him over the weekend. I'm a huge fan of him. I love how he competes defensively. Uh, He's probably, he could already be the best perimeter defender on the roster from day one, just with how aggressive he is and just how sound his technique is. But I forced a lot of turnovers. He didn't commit many fouls. He's just really, really a good defender. Then you couple that with the fact that he's also a great shooter. I think from day one, he could be one of the best shooters on the roster. He's good off the catch, off the dribble, dribble pull-ups, step backs. Like he does all of that. No, especially his last two, three seasons, he really took a lot of threes um, at a very high rate and also hit him at a pretty high percentage as well. And people, you know, he's 6'1", and, you know, people may talk about the fact that maybe they did need an additional guard. But if it actually wrote this, uh, the story that's going to run on Monday, I'm recording this Sunday for those who are going to listen to the pop that comes out later on this week. But uh, if you had to draft up, like, the perfect guard to pair next to a Killian Hayes, uh, Jaden Ivey, or a Cade Cunningham, you would want shooting you would want defense, you would want secondary playmaking. And that is literally Marcus Sasser. Like he does all three of those things very well. Um, yeah, six one, obviously so a little undersized, but he has a six seven wingspan. I think he's gonna come in, uh, just a passion of fire he plays with. He's gonna be a fan favorite. Uh just a really, really good player. And you know, those people kind of fretted about the additional second round picks they gave up too. The way I see it, second round picks are the second round picks, right? Like most of them are not gonna turn into uh, reliable NBA players. So if you're trading three second round picks for 
a first round pick for a player that you feel really, really good about being an impactful NBA player. And then to me, that's good business. So I really like that trade for Detroit. And I think Sasser is going to come in and really make a name for himself. And at the end of the day, if Troy Weaver finds a second round pick in next year's class, or I, I have, I'll be honest, Amari, I haven't even looked up what years those second round picks were. I'm just not overly worried about it. They're going to change so much hands between now and the draft. Who, who knows? I mean, I think the second round pick, the Pistons have next year, you can't even follow where it came from and the protections on it. it it's just crazy. So at the end of the day, if he has a second round pick in next year's class or the year after 2029, he can go find what do we The Lakers bought one for $4.3 million the other day just to get a second round pick. So you're able to get a second round pick if you want it, Omari. So I'm not overly worried about that. At the end of the day, and we had it up on the screen just a second. I think Sasser has a role day one. I agree with that from Jared Beck. I just think he's going to come in and I don't know if he unseats Killian. I don't know if he unseats Burks. Maybe he's the fifth guard, but we know injuries happen, rest happens, all of those type of things. And what I like about Marcus Sasser on this team, Amari, is I think he's perfect to play alongside a Cade Cunningham or a Killian Hayes or even a Jaden Ivey. You're a little bit small there, but he can play off the ball. That's what's beautiful about Marcus Sasser is he can play off the ball and be a catch-and-shoot guy and provide that floor spacing that everybody wants. So to me, I'm a little surprised people have been upset with this pick because it offers both things that people want. It One, he is going to defend. Two, he's going to space the floor, but he's also a little bit older. So I think he comes in ready to play right now, which a lot of fans want this team to compete this next season. Yeah, you look at how De- Desmond Bain came in with Memphis a few years ago and just immediately just kind of found his role and like surpassed all the expectations. I really do think Sasha has a chance to be that with the business. I don't want to raise expectations too high. I don't want people coming back uh, a year later like, man, I've already got this dude up and it didn't work out. But I just look at Sasha's game and uh, just the, the person he was at, at Houston, like the competitor he was night in and night out. And it's tough for me to see him not being an impactful player in the NBA. Uh, just the shooting, the defense, like those are all things the Pistons really need. And you also have to look at this team just in a framework of what do they need two or three years from now, right? It's, they're not just bidding for next season, they're bidding for down the road. Uh, you know, I don't think it's problematic to have a crowded point guard room while you figure out uh, roles and fits and this and that. Like if you know Marcus Sasser, is somebody that you want to build around uh, that you just take him and then you figure some of that stuff out later. But he really is a strong culture fit for this team. He can really heat up too. Like there's games where he just catches fire from three and he can just kind of swing a game. I mean, he's really, like people describe him as like a Pat Bev type or like perfect six man, this and that. Like I just think he's going to be a pretty good point guard in general and he's going to, earn some, some minutes for the Pistons. Yeah, I love it. And at the end of the day, I thought the theme that came away from this draft, Amari, was Troy Weaver truly wanted to add defense to this team. And I don't know if I want to say the first time, like I haven't thought about all of the moves, but at the, off the top of my head, this is the first time where I'm like, he outwardly did that. You know, with the Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran picks, I don't know that that was all about defense. I know that we think Jalen Duran's going to be a good defender eventually, but, you know, he's got a little ways to go. Jaden Ivey has some question marks. You know, trading for Marvin Bagley isn't that. Trading for James Wiseman isn't that. But you draft Asar Thompson, you draft Marcus Sasser, and I think there's a level of belief in those guys' defensive impact and why you take them where you take them. You know, you're not taking Asar 5, just because you think he's going to be a 28-point-per-game guy. You take a star five because you think he's going to be a 
all NBA, you know, type defender at some point in his career on the perimeter. So I'm excited by that, I guess is my point, Omari. Like I'm excited that they added this defense for a team where like they struggled there and I'll be honest, like, again, I'm a little surprised because the fan base hated that the defense was so bad. So I kind of liked that that's where he went. You know, and then I also try to keep in mind that sometimes with all his voices on Twitter are people who are, you know, just upset necessarily. But when I did the, the poll, uh, I think 83% of fans uh, voted either A or B. There were more Bs than A's. But either way, I think I think the overall picture is that people understand the Pistons we're going for. Uh, but, yeah, Sasser is going to be, to be good for this team. Like I like the way he plays. I don't want to throw out comparisons. I would just say offensively, he kind of reminds me of Will Bynum a little bit. And I'm sure, you know, folks who watched Will, Will Bynum back when he was here back in 2010, 11, uh, you know, I realize I'm 29 now. So sometimes I throw players out. And I'm like, well, we've got some people here like 17, <laughs> 18. They weren't watching the Pistons back then. Uh, you know, but Will Bynum could really run the offense and like really heat up and, and shoot the ball and, and, and make plays. But you combine that just with also being a really great defense. Uh, like Sasser has a chance to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. Like he's feisty. His technique is like fantastic. I mean, he, he has great balance. Like everything you would want in a perimeter defender. He pretty much does. Granted, he's probably only defending one through two, but that's still really important in today's NBA with the point guard death across the league. And yeah, there's been like a lot of comparisons with Lindsey Hunter and, and, and Mike James with Killian and, and, and Marcus. Uh, they they both fill roles, right? Like you need you need good defenders. Uh, maybe both of those guys come off of the bench, but I mean, again, that's a really good example of what the Pistons could have next season. I would find it really interesting to know what our age demographic is for the podcast, because I feel like we probably have a little bit of an older demographic in terms of age. I, I don't I, I think we do. I, I'd I be curious. So if you're a, yeah. if you're a 16 to 22 year old listening to the Pistons Pulse, make sure you reach out and let us know, because we want to know if you're there or not. But I'm assuming we're hitting more in like the 30s, 40s, 50s age, which is fine. I just feel like that's probably a little bit more our vibe. I don't know. So we got a ton of questions, Omari. We're going to try to get to as many as we can. Thank you guys that are here listening live, watching live. Uh, Doug McMiniman, 70 years old next Wednesday. Happy early birthday. Happy early birthday. Yes, we got a bunch of questions coming from him as we come back from this short break. So we'll dive into those. Keep sending them in, guys, and we'll get to as many as we can. All right. We are back with segment two. And uh, we actually have a few questions from Doug McMinimus. We'll start off with this one. Uh, now that the draft is done, are the new guys able to work out with the team right away? Or is there a date they have to reach? Uh, so my understanding is that, you know, when teams draft players with their own picks, they can just go ahead and join the team immediately. When there's some sort of trade involved, uh, typically the, the trade has to clear uh, before the guy is fully able to like participate, and there are, there's like some leeway in, in that. That's generally my understanding. Like I know when it comes to summer league, sometimes when you make a trade, they have to wait. Like Jalen during last year, you have to wait for the trade to go all the way through before the player can join and fully participate and whatnot. So uh, that's probably where they are with this one. Uh, I know when the Pistons announced the Asar uh, Thompson and Marcus uh, um, and Marcus Sasser trades last weekend, they noted that the Sasser trade had not been. Uh, fully cleared yet so I think that's where they are now like I would expect Sasser would still be around but probably just not in like an official capacity until that fully goes through right because was it during late to summer league or something like that is like we there was some nervousness around him playing in summer league and Sasser it's part of the 
Kristaps Porzingis Celtics trade, right? Like that pick that the Pistons ended up with was all part of that trade, which isn't finalized. All of that stuff is coming in July. The legal tampering will come up on the 30th. So we're about to get crazy again with free agency, Amari. But I guess there's a chance, depending on how that trade works, Amari, that Sasser could be in that same situation for Summer League. And it should be noted, the Pistons Summer League schedule is out. Amari tweeted it out, so go check out his Twitter. Uh, Summer League opens on the 7th but the Pistons play on the 8th and ninth. So this is the first year in three years, Amari, where I'll get to see him play twice. I was kind of excited about that, even though they didn't get opening night. And I think the ninth is a SAR versus a men on Sunday night. I'm glad because a lot of people flying for Summer League on the 6th. I booked my flight for early on the 7th. Same. Uh, you know, just because I don't like being in Vegas longer than I need to be. <laughs> uh, so I'm very relieved they're playing on the 8th and ninth, and not on the 7th because that would have been a super long day. But yeah, uh, uh, I'm in the SAR. Um, July 9th. That'll probably be the highlight of the weekend for Pistons fans, so put that one on your calendar. All right, Doug, I know you have some fun ones. We'll get to those at the end. I want to stay with these ones for now. He said, does the uncertainty in Portland's future make it more likely Grant could become a Piston? I'll just give my quick thoughts, Amari, that if Damian Lillard is staying in Portland, I think Jeremy Grant's in Portland. If all of a sudden you see Damian Lillard trade and that stuff really heats up over the next few days, then yeah, I I think at the end of the day, that does become more likely. I'm not saying it's going to happen or anything like that. I would give it a very low chance if Damian Lillard is in Portland and then a realistic chance. But obviously there's going to be other suitors as well if they're kind of doing this and Jeremy's going to leave town. I pretty much align with that. If they ended up trading Damian Lillard, there's been a lot of smoke with Miami uh, then. You know, from Jeremy's standpoint, there's probably not the huge setup to stay. Uh, was, you know, so maybe that increases the odds that he, he, he leaves, you know, whether or not he comes to Detroit, uh, TBD. But it really just comes down yeah, to the direction that Portland wants to go. Um, they have Scoot Henderson. Um, you know, maybe that leads them to say, hey, maybe now's the perfect time to finally blow it up. Dame's 32. That's just what we can for him. But they've been in this holding pattern, I feel like, for four or five years where uh, these rumors flare up every year and then Dame stays. So. TBD, but if they hit the reset button, then you probably have to part ways with Jeremy Grant as well. So I got this one on Twitter as well. So we'll just start with the first part of this one, Amari. And the question is, what are the odds we make a trade with Atlanta for some forwards? And then I also got this from Max on Twitter. Essentially, he had screenshotted something about the Pistons were in talks of trading five for seven or for 15, excuse me, for 15. Um, so yeah, seven was Indiana. And so it would have been DeAndre Hunter and what ended up being Jordan Hawkins for Asar Thompson. So he was asking, like, would you make that trade, Amari? Like, even today, would you trade number five Asar Thompson for DeAndre Hunter and Jordan Hawkins, the 15th pick? Yeah, that that was, uh, I think that was Jake Fisher. Uh, Sorry, that's not that. right. Jordan Hawkins was not selected 15 to the Hawks. No, that was, that was Kobe Buffkin. Kobe Buffkin, Kobe Buffkin, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, same idea, though. Yeah, I think Jake Fisher reported that uh, that trade uh, offer was on the table uh, going into the draft and obviously didn't happen. Uh, you know, to me, it's, you know, if it didn't happen during the, the draft, I guess what could Atlanta do after to kind of close that gap? And, you know, what they offered was enough for Detroit the night of the draft. So I kind of look at their roster and, like, what else would kind of get the job done for D- Detroit, right? You know, I think a lot of it is how desperate is Atlanta to kind of hit the reset button? Like, what are they willing to settle for? Uh, you know, the Pistons, like, they got calls for the fifth pick, of course. Like, all the reads I got last week were that they were not eager to come off of that pick and that the price was probably higher than uh, teams were going to match, which we saw. Uh, you know, so I'll say that outside of the trade with Atlanta are probably slimmer now uh, than they were last week, you know, just because what Atlanta coveted from Detroit, uh, you know, came to pass and they didn't get it. So from Atlanta's standpoint, what would they settle for if they still want to get DeAndre Hunter to Detroit? And if you're Detroit, 
uh, you're taking on DeAndre Hunter's deal. Uh, you know, is that just, you know, like as far as salary matching and whatnot, do you just trade Boyan at that point? Like exactly what kind of goes down? So I'll probably say less likely now uh, than it was last week. But, you know, again, uh, there's still a lot that could change between now and uh, free agency kicking off on Friday. And, of course, the next week and beyond. I will say, I, w- I wouldn't mind having Kobe Bufkin with the Detroit Pistons, Omari. I'm, I'm a big Kobe Bufkin guy. I actually thought he was going to go a little bit higher than what he ended up going, which was 15 there to the Hawks. But, um, you know, there's some pre-draft talk of him going all the way in the lottery. So here we get a question from our guy, Cody, um, big supporter. We appreciate you, Cody, always tuning in, listening, watching. Who do you guys think would be the most impactful under-the-radar signing the Pistons could make? Uh, he said, I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker could be low-key sneaky. That's a good name. I, I'll tell you the name I had, Omari, was actually Javon Carter. But with Marcus Sasser, I just don't think that makes a whole lot of sense anymore. Unless, I mean, I guess if you moved Killian, then maybe there's a spot. But I, I think if you're moving Killian, it's because Sasser, even though I do think those guys can play together. I think Yuta Watanabe is kind of the name that's not under the radar because Piston fans have been talking about it. But when you talk about just a floor spacer, obviously, off the bench I think that that's a name that makes sense just to come in space the floor with the second unit um, I'm sure we'll talk and have some questions about some other bigger name free agencies but you have a name kind of not, not the Grant Williams not the Cam Johnson's not those guys is there another name that maybe you've had your eye on that the Pistons could target well you know pro- probably not that they hired Monty Williams but if you're just looking at wings who can defend his shots like Jay Crowder is on that list uh, you know it sounds like him and Monty we have had a fall out so <laughs> you know maybe that's not as likely as if Dwayne were still the coach. But, you know, that's to me, that's an under-the-radar signing where he's been in winning situations. And, uh, you know, typically just looking at the teams he's, he's been on, he's contributed to winning. Uh, you know, I, we talked about Dylan Brooks a little bit last week. I know people are nervous about him. The upset that's pretty under-the-radar just because you know what you're getting from him. And you know, I think there's a price that makes sense. You know, obviously, if you're worried about all the other stuff that comes with him, then, you know, you probably pass. And the way the Pistons talk about culture and whatnot, I'm sure that they've, had those discussions uh, are taking that pretty seriously. Uh, you know, it's tough because this class is just not like super deep and like defensive wings at all. Like seems to have been pretty good about locking those guys up. So uh, like once you get to like under the radar signings, who can like really defend? Like it's just, it's not a super deep list <laughs> to be honest with you. And there are some guards, like I was going to bring up Pat Bev, but you have Sasser, so now you probably don't go after a Bev maybe. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now. Like I've been intrigued by the kid Alexander Walker for a while. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what would happen as far as that, but I really couldn't even say how he is defensively. I haven't watched him a lot, uh, but that would certainly qualify to me as under the radar. Well, I think the thing is, it comes again down to roster spots, Amari. How, how many roles are available for this team? To me, there's one, like whether it's a wing or a forward, like in that 3-4 spot, possibly even in the starting lineup, depending on what you do with the SAR. But if you want Isaiah Livers to get any minutes, like if you, but even if you don't, you already have a SAR, you have Boyan, Isaiah Stewart's going to have to play almost all of his minutes at the four with the five man. You have all of your guards. Like, I just don't know that there's any minutes to be left. So, I like the idea of this, but what's an under-the-radar signing going to do? Like, are there even minutes for that person? So that's where it's at for me. I, I wanted to ask this one because I, I thought of it. I saw other people, should we read any future free agency tea leaves into Asar taking Jeremy Grant's number nine? I, I would assume if Jeremy Grant really wanted to come back, you could talk to Asar about giving that number up or or Jeremy could wear something different. I wouldn't read into it. Like Asar, I mean, he said he had a pretty decent idea that he would be drafted by the Pistons, but you know I don't think he was thinking about it so deeply that he would be able to predict that a free agent they get 
but also wouldn't wear that number. Uh, so I, w- I wouldn't read into that a lot. I don't think it means a whole lot. So this is from Christian. This is interesting because this is a little bit different than what I've heard a lot of fans. So he said a lot of fans want this team to be bottom five again. I'm not quite sure realistically how many teams you see us jumping in the standings. Um, You know, one is going to be the Wizards, right? The Wizards are full tank mode. I don't think they're going to win a lot of games. Charlotte, just like who knows what's going on in Charlotte. I I think I I struggle to see this team pre-free agency really getting into the play-in conversation, Amari. I I think 30, 29 and a half is probably the over-under where I would set it as things are right now. Like we have no idea. You add Cam Johnson to the roster, it's different. There's a trade, it's different. Some other team goes, like what do the Chicago Bulls do over the next two weeks, right? So there's a lot of caveats to this when we're recording on June 20th. 25th but I do think that this team can get into the 25 to 30 wins but that's still putting you probably what 11th 12th maybe 13th depending on how good the Eastern Conference is yeah somewhere in that range um one thing I always do which you also just did Bryce is a lot of times people will make projections as far as I think the business could be the sixth seed or whatever uh, but then you actually look at the rest of the league, and it's like, well, you know, you're comparing them against 15 different teams in that conference, right? And just looking at the teams from last year, we could just go down the list. Milwaukee, probably better than Detroit le- next year. Boston, probably better. Philly, probably better. Cleveland, New York. Uh, Brooklyn, you okay. know. Who knows? Maybe, you know, so that's They're six. one injury to Mikkel Bridges away from completely different scenario, right? Like, that's one thing you yeah. always have to take into account with this stuff. Yeah, and then you have Atlanta kind of in the same boat, right? Like, uh, I think DeJounte Murray is extension eligible, and just what his extension would be worth is just way less than his market value. So, you know, he probably tries to become a free agent in the year, so they would just trade him now. So Atlanta could look to move toward a rebuild, and they drafted a guard, right? Kobe Buskin. So, you know, you could probably read the tea leaves a little bit there. Uh, so Brooklyn, Atlanta, maybe coin flips. Miami, probably still good. Toronto, Chicago, Indiana, Wizards, Magic. I'm kind of in the same boat where I probably seen them in like that 11 to 12 range. And there's probably maybe three teams that you could reasonably say are trying to be bad next season. Uh, so, Basically, Detroit's going to be in like that Orlando, Indiana last season tier where they're clearly building a good team and they just probably need a couple more pieces and time for the young guys to mature. At the end of the day, it's about injuries, disgruntled. Like, what if Trey Young just decides, hey, I'm out. I want out of this. And they trade him and then they go full rebuild. I mean, you just never know. So this stuff happens so quickly in the NBA and some of it may happen this summer. This is a good question from Ben. This is something I've actually thought about, Omari. Do the Pistons have the option of sending their 2024 pick to New York to get rid of all those protections and just guarantee, hey, this is going to New York in 2024, and then the protections are removed. They have access to all their first-rounders moving forward. My understanding is this stuff can be negotiated at any time. Now it would be negotiated by both sides. You know, you'd have to convince New York to do it. Detroit wouldn't want to have to. Here's what I'll say, Ben. My feeling right now today on June 25th about the 2024 NBA draft class is it doesn't have star power at the top like what we saw this year, obviously, but I think there's going to be some good depth say 8 to 20. I think there's going to be some really good players. So in the spot we're talking about the Pistons selecting potentially in 2024, I think they could get a good quality player. And at that point, I think all the Pistons are probably looking for is role players. You're not star hunting anymore. Hopefully not, or something's gone wrong with Cade, Ivy, Jalen Duran, even a SARS ceiling. So I would 
like to see them keep it. But I will say, Ben, it's something I've considered as well, just to get off the hook of all those protections. And when are you going to lose that pick and those type of things? Amari, your thoughts on that? I'm actually not sure if teams can change protections after the fact. Uh, no team I've covered has ever done it. And off the top of my head, I'm struggling to think of too many examples uh, where teams have done that. Uh, so my guess would just be that the protections are the protections. And uh, for the Pistons to have a pick in 2025, they would just need to convey it next season. Like, they just need to be good enough to convey the pick, uh, get off of that obligation. And then you have all your first-round picks going forward. But you just have to be good enough to convey the pick. I don't think there's anything they could do now to uh, change the protection and opt into that class. Summer League roster predictions or best guesses. Does Eugene Amarui make the roster opening night? I'm going to forgo the... Summer league roster stuff a little bit. Amari, I think you can give a little bit of insight. We've heard some Jay Nivey, Jalen Duran talk, so I'll let you do yeah. that. I will go. I don't think this is out on a limb, but I don't think Eugene Amaru is on the roster next year. Uh, we've talked about this at length. There's essentially three open roster spots right now. You probably bring back one of Hami, Magruder, probably not Kojo, but one of those guys. I would guess it's probably Rodney Magruder unless he's ready to take a role somewhere else. I just, I, I, I think it's a roster spot thing. So I don't see Eugene on the roster. Um, some summer league roster intel, Amari. I know a little bit's come out with that. I'm pretty sure we're going to see Ivy and Duran in at least one game. Uh, guys like Wiseman uh, wouldn't shock me if he plays at all. Uh, the Pistons seem to be a pretty uh, all hands on deck, uh, you know, team. Uh, unified in that as far as summer league uh if you're talking like k you know like maybe some of the fourth year guys probably not but you know i do think we could see uh just wise this place a little basketball and you know, he came in after the trade deadline that uh, it'll be beneficial for him to play so i can see him playing the game uh wouldn't shock me if isaiah livers is around just because he was injured his first summer league so uh last year was his first one and they'll probably want him to get two win uh so those four guys i could definitely see uh along with marcus sasser and asar of course so uh, so probably a pretty fun team this year. This is from our guy, Kyle Metz. Would you rather have Jeremy Grant at three years and $90 million, or Cam Johnson at four years, $112 million, which would be what, 30, not 33, 27 or 28, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so what, uh, three times four is 120, and he's subtract eight, so it's like, I think, 28 a year. Yeah, uh, I would I would probably go Jeremy Grant at three uh, just because he's a no-commodity and you probably feel a lot better about him, about the value on that deal. And, you know, you have the option, I believe, to extend after two years if you want, or, or if you just let him hit free agency, you can. But it gives you a little bit more flexibility, and he's just a bit more of a known commodity, so you know his transfer weakness is and how he fits uh, with some of the guys. We didn't really see him in K play a whole lot, honestly, just because of in injuries. But uh, for me, at least, I would probably feel more comfortable going that route just because I've watched Jeremy a lot more, and I think he's probably more versatile uh, defensively as well. Jeremy Grant's the better NBA basketball player as it stands right now, right? Probably so. I would say so. That's a good question. I, I think I might just go Cam just because younger experience with Monty. So, um, you know, the money's not that much different. I know the years are, are one year different, but I think I might would just go Cam. And it's not because I don't like Jeremy. I actually think Jeremy, especially if he came back, knowing the role he was going to play in would be a really nice addition to the team. This is from our guy, Trader Cause. Do we have any intel on Prashida, how he's been playing, if he'll participate in Summer League? This is another one I haven't got an answer to. Like, he's he's contracted to an overseas team beyond just this year. So 
like my understanding would be that Prashida probably wouldn't even be allowed to play in summer league, but that very well may not be the case. I will openly admit I don't have facts on that, but uh, we definitely haven't heard a whole lot. I know we've seen some highlights here and there on Twitter from people that have followed Prashida overseas. I, I just... I have a hard time seeing him part of the plans right now, but that that may be way off. I think they have the option to bring him uh, to summer league if they would like to, and I can double check on that. But I don't know for a fact right now. Like I would make that clear. Uh, you know, if I had to make a guess, I'd say we probably won't see Prashida in summer league. And you know, obviously for draft a stash guy, you retain his 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 rights. That uh, last season, uh, you know, like he he was at Berlin in the Euro League. He didn't have like an amazing season. Like, he didn't shoot it as well. Uh, you know, there's probably some belief that he needs a little bit more polish before he comes over to the NBA. Uh, so my guess is that we won't see him, but obviously that could change in the next two weeks. All right, this is from Jarek Beck. Will Asar spend any time in the G League to develop his offensive game? I am going to say no, because I was so wrong on Jalen Duran last year that there's no way I'm pre- predicting the number five overall pick to the G League this season. Uh, listen, guys, I get it. I am with everybody who sees the rawness of Asar Thompson and is a little bit nervous about this. I talked about it on the last episode, though. This is entirely different, in my opinion, than what Cade walked into, than what Jaden walked even than what Killian Hayes walked into, Amari. Asar is walking into a role where he doesn't have to have that must usage. He can be offensively, play off the ball, offensive rebound, cut, get out in transition, short roll, make passes, and whenever you have him in some fun little play types and then really defend. And, you know, I I said last episode, like maybe you don't want to give him those toughest NBA assignments early on and had some people comment on YouTube saying like, no, he says he wants those matchups. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like, let's, let's let the youngster find out. So I'm not saying you have to start him. I've talked about starting him. I think I probably would, but I could be talked out of it depending on what's signed in free agency. But I would assume you want to get him into the NBA and see, like, I, I at least don't think you start him in the G League. I think he starts in the NBA and then if it goes really bad maybe you have to do something else but I mean I mean we'll see yeah we'll see him at summer league and those type of things but I'm assuming no yeah I I would be shocked to see him in the G League last year I mean we haven't seen any other first round picks spend any time in the G League and I don't think you're going to start that with Asar he would have to just be uh just completely off and uh, ineffective next year for them to consider that but no I would be very surprised to see him spend time with the Motor City Crews. All right, we'll get one more here before we go to break. This is from Robert Canfield. Can two-way players get poached from a roster? Or are they safe? My understanding is they are safe, Amari. They, they're under contract with the team. Um, obviously, you can get, you know, teams move off those guys all the time. But while you're on a two-way contract, you are locked in with that organization. Yeah, two-way contracts are safe. You put a guy on a, a two-way, he's with the roster. And uh, he's not somebody that's going to get poached away by another team. All right, guys, we're going to go to a short break here. we got a bunch of questions left. We'll kind of go through them rapid fire get through as many as we can we appreciate you if you have any last second ones go ahead and get those in and we'll start answering them as soon as we get back from this all right back with segment three and we will dive into a question here on the two big lineups um you know will monty williams continue with these two big lineups and that's a good question. That is a good question. I think that is, I know I'm doing a lot of TBD on this spot, but, you know, we're so early into the process with Demonte Hire that there's just a lot of stuff we haven't even asked yet as far as that. You know, I would think that you pay that much money to get a coach like Monty, you give him full autonomy over some of the lineups he tries to play, and you want to empower him to try to win as many games as possible. So if there are any significant fit questions between 
like say playing Bagley and Isaiah Stewart together or um, any two of those guys, Wiseman and Isaiah, like whoever, right? You know, I would think that he would probably be more inclined to just maximize spacing and, uh, you know, put guys in positions to succeed on defense and, you know, coach the team essentially to win and not just to develop. So again, that's a, a TBD, but I think it largely depends on uh, the two bigs in the question and how they fit together and if it can uh, be conducted toward winning. I think he's going to because I think that's where the team wants Isaiah Stewart to play. I mean, I guess there could be a complete transition. But the thing is, Amari, if you don't play Isaiah Stewart at the four, now you're trying to get minutes at the five for Duran, Bagley, Wiseman, and Stu. And I just don't think that that's possible. So I guess there could be some moves this offseason that point to the team not doing that. But I think at the very least, you're going to get Stewart at the four and two big, you know, him and Duran or him and Bagley, whatever it is. So I think you're going to get some versions of the two big lineup. But I I think you'll see Boyan at the four. And then again, I think it depends on this free agency. If they brought in Cam Johnson, I think you'd see Cam Johnson at the four. Like I, I wouldn't hate seeing a star play the four at times, you know, with whoever at the three. So I think they can do some creative things there. And again, you're going to get another addition to this as well. So right into that, Amari lineup as is, this is from HJ three K is Stewart starting at the four. Do you think he has the inside track starting at the four with the current lineup? No free agency additions. I would say based on the current lineup, it probably depends on how well he's shooting the ball. Uh, you know, I don't think Monty's going to want to play. And, you know, and this could always change, right? But just based on Monty's rotation patterns at, at Phoenix, I don't think he's going to play two non-shooting bigs together. So if Isaiah Stewart can knock him down, like Sam's running at the four, uh, if he's not knocking him down and you're up during at the five, then, uh, you know, it's probably just one of those guys at the five. And, uh, it would just be tough to have two non-shooters on the floor together. So that's the caveat to the earlier conversation, right, Amari, about the floor spacing and a potential lineup with a SAR. If you have a SAR at the three, Dern at the five, you can't have a non-shooter at the four, right? So that's the caveat to the conversation. A SAR does limit your lineup versatility just a little bit in that scenario where you need a, a wing forward playing alongside him that's going to space the floor since it's not something that he can really do. So that that is important to know as we talk through that, at least until the shot really starts to come around. Um, this one is interesting because last year, you know, we kind of found out where Jalen Duran was on the big board for Troy Weaver. I don't know if this will come out with a Sar, but Cedric asked, where was Asar on Detroit's big board? Would they have selected him over a min or even over Brandon Miller? I don't know exactly where he was on that board. Uh, you hear about draft boards a lot of times and uh, bits and uh, pieces. And, you know, a lot of times teams will kind of tell you after, after the fact, but I've not really inquired, you know, if, if, uh, if Asar was specifically over Brandon Miller or not. You know, I didn't expect Miller to be there when the Pistons drafted. So, you know, it wasn't even something I checked in on. I just know for a fact that of all the players sort of in that range for Detroit, I'm not counting Ahmed because I think the team's expected for a while that Ahmed would go number four to Houston. Uh, Asar was, you know, I think the highest regarded player uh, within that. I thought he made a huge impression on the Pistons with his workout and interview when he was somebody that was extremely high on their board. Whether he was higher than Miller, I'm, I'm not positive, but I think he was very high on it. I, I would have been really interesting to see if they took a yeah. Sar or a Min, Omari. You know, I, I don't think many people had... I think the big three was the big three. As much talk as there was around it, I think the big three was the big three. But then it would have been really, really interesting if the Rockets would have went with I mean, obviously, it wasn't going to be Cam Whitmore, even though that's who they ended up with at 20. But if they would have went with anybody else other than a men or a SAR, and those two were on the board together for the Pistons at five, I would have been fascinated to see who Detroit would take and if they would have felt like a SAR was a better fit or maybe even a better player. Because I did have a men as a better prospect than a SAR. So 
Cream Soda ask, is Killian more than injury reserve with Sasser on the squad? Burks and Sasser are more functional guards right now. Do you bench Killian or trade him while there's still some value? Does Killian have any trade value right now, Amari? I mean, he's probably not going to be the focal point in a, a, a trade, uh, you know, for another team. Unless there's a team that wants to give up, you know, like maybe, uh, you know, a second round pick or whatever. But uh, I think the thing with Killian is that he's extension eligible now. And the team that trades for him will have to be faced with paying him in a year. Right. So, you know, how much do you give up for a player who may only be on the roster for a year if you don't see what you want from him to, you know, resign him or match him, restrict free agency or even if there's a market there. So, you know, I would say the trade value is probably not super high. Do you see him still having a role with the current guard lineup? Like, I think, I don't think it's bad having five guards though. Do you? Like, I think obviously there's going to have to be some sacrifice and minutes and all of that, but you don't have to play Alec Burks every night. To me, you let that veteran rest a little bit, keep his legs, give him nights off on backs to backs. Somebody's going to roll an ankle, those type of things. I think all five of those guys, obviously, Cade and Ivy are like the most important, but those three guys off the bench, I think there's a role for all three of them, I guess is my point. Do you agree with that? Like, like I can see where they all have roles. I'm curious to see. You know, I look okay. at their roster. You know, I look at coaches usually have nine, ten man rotations. Uh, you know, Kate and Ivy will probably start. Uh, you know, I don't think they traded for Marcus Sasser for him to sit on, on the on the bench. And we talked about a shooting and defense. Uh, Four year guys are t- typically uh, pretty solid. You know, in, NBA players uh, from you know their rookie seasons on. So you know, I expect Sasser to be in a rotation. Asar obviously gives you a lot of what you get from Killian just from a playmaking and defense standpoint. And then you have Alec Burks, who's one of the best shooters on the roster. Uh, so that's, you know, five guys with a lot of positional overlap right there who are giving you a lot, one and two. Then you have Livers and Boyan giving you Venice out the, the three. So who gets squeezed out, right? Uh, you know, I would say last week's draft, uh, to me, both of those guys, Sasser and Asar Thompson, uh, give you a lot of the same stuff you get from from Killian. Uh, you know, with Asar, you get the, the defense and, and playmaking with Sasser. You also get the defense and playmaking, but he's also a really, really good shooter. So, you know, I wondered sort of in what roles, you know, do you play Killian if he's still having a lot of the uh, shooting issues he's had thus far? So a lot of that will kind of just remain to be seen. You know, I don't want to say he's going to get traded yet or like anything else. But look at that draft and they clearly saw a need on the roster for more playmaking and defense just from those perimeter positions. And I think the Sasser trade made that pretty clear. Uh, So we will see. Like, we will see. Like, I don't know if there's enough room to rotation uh, for all of those guys. And if you're going into the the season and you're curious, like, how many minutes would be there for Killian? I mean, maybe he's just the bench guard. You know, maybe he, uh, you know, or maybe defensively, like, he's still in that mix, right? And I think a lot of it just kind of comes down to Killian's own skill development. But there's a lot of overlap with what he gives you and some of the other guys. So... Uh, that is a TBD for me. But if you're the Pistons and you know he's extension eligible now and you have to pay him in a year, uh, how much can you really showcase him uh, You know, to kind of let him prove that he can hit, hit shots consistently and do some of these other things? Like I just, I'm just curious how many minutes would be there for him next season. And I want to go back to a previous question asking about Summer League and stuff like that. If you guys go to the rookiescale.com, it's a great resource. It gives you all the undrafted free agents, where they sign 10 uh, E10 contracts, un- 
two-way contracts, summer league, con- you know, things like that. So the rookiescale.com, that's where I found the one for the Pistons. That's the only person they've signed Tulsan so far, but you can see a lot of those. They keep that pretty up to date. So that's a really good resource if you're just trying to keep track of those type of things. Obviously, that's not full summer league rosters, but that's this year's rookie class and kind of where they're ending up with different teams. This is from Jared Beck again. Jared, appreciate all the support. You tuning in. I see you're really active in the chat all the time, which we appreciate. Do you guys think Asar will start or come off the bench this season? I know we've talked about this a little bit, Amari, just in terms of whether he played G League or not. I think Asar will start. That's my opinion. Now, I would change that opinion if they do end up signing Cam Johnson, or maybe they throw the bag at a Grant Williams, then I'm okay with the star coming off the bench. And, you know, the thing with that is how do you balance those lineups to make sure there's enough shooting in both lineups? Because as we said earlier, there could be enough shooting on this roster, right? Amari to keep the spacing, but you have to make sure it's balanced between lineups and how you make those substitutions and rotations. I just think a top five pick, he's already 20 years old. I understand the jump in leagues, Amari. I get it. But he's been playing a lot of minutes. He's played against international competition. I, I think he probably ends up starting. That's just my thoughts on it. Yeah, it, to me, it comes down to free agency. It's just really yeah, hard to kind sure. of, you know, like answer, you know, who starts and who sits and map out rotations before we get to free agency. Because, I mean, whatever I say now, it could change completely a week from now. So, uh, you know, I think he has a, a chance to start. Like, obviously, all the other top seven picks have started uh, day one. And, you know, I'm sure there'll still be some of that thinking there. But, we got to see what happens if we had to see first. This is from our guy, RB Nesbitt. What do you guys think about throwing a bag at Mike Conley for a year as the vet point guard playing less than 20 minutes a night? Yes, that scenario means moving on from Killian. My thing here is I would have listened to this a week ago, four days ago, Amari. Like I said, Javon Carter was a guy I was really interested in adding to this roster. With the addition of Sasser, I just don't necessarily see it now. I'm still in the camp of I would keep Killian around for this season and see what he can do under Monty, a new coach, all of those things. Obviously, we're not around the organization. We don't know where he's at, how the summer has gone. But I, I don't see that with the current roster. Now, I guess if you're going to trade Killian and there's some minutes there, you strike out otherwise in free agency, maybe there's there's a reason to do that. But as it sits right now, I would kind of keep that five-guard group together. you got your three centers i would add a wing forward maybe a couple of those guys bring a vet in like rodney magruder keep him around the roster and, and call it a day i mean i covered mike conley in memphis and i'm, I'm biased because he was awesome to cover awesome human being uh you know obviously a leader and i think if you're looking at a veteran point guard he checks a lot of those boxes uh you know i guess when you say throwing a bag you know i don't know it just depends on how big that bag is, I suppose. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you necessarily need to use up a significant amount of your cap space for that. You know, when you are already pretty set at the guard positions, just from a, a, a rose standpoint, maybe you still want a veteran point guard. But I don't think the person are looking at their veteran point guard. I'm sorry, at the point guard rotation and saying we need to spend at least half of our cap space to address that. You know, we already have so many guys there. So I don't know if I throw a bag at them, but for the right price, you know, if I'm Troy Weaver, I would look at that for sure. From Robert Canfield, does the Pistons not taking the King salary dump of pick number 24? So that was the Rashawn Holmes and the 20. Essentially, they gave up the 24th pick to get off of Rashawn Holmes or any other salary dump trade make you think we're targeting high end players in free agency. That's a good, good thought. Because here's the thing, Amari. The Mavericks used that pick to draft one of my favorite guys, Omax Prosper. I would have loved to see the Pistons add Omax Prosper to this roster. But this is interesting because the fact Detroit didn't do that 
could say like, hey, they are going to go all in on trying to sign someone like Cam Johnson or Grant Williams or Dylan Brooks, whoever it is. And so maybe there are a little bit of tea leaves showing this team is going to at least try, right, Omari? Here's the thing we got to remember. Just because the team doesn't end up with a player doesn't mean they didn't try or have plans to do so. But this could mean that they are, you know, have plans to try to go acquire a player in free agency. I don't think it necessarily means that they're for sure going to do that. I just think it means they didn't want to take themselves out of the race before they needed to. Uh, you know, there would be other teams trying to salary dump next week. Uh, true, you know, for true. The, you know, yeah. And for the Pistons, it's like they got, uh, you know, two guys that they wanted in this draft, the Sar and Marcus Sasser. Uh, so, you know, you necessarily need to give up your cap space for, um, you know, another draft pick, but you'll be able to make some things happen a week later in free agency or maybe the trade market or whatnot. So I think they do have plans in free agency or in the trade market or whatnot. Uh, I don't think that, like, not going for that salary dump necessarily means anything in particular other than that they just wanted to preserve their cap space for the following week. So this is from Dolo Dynamite and he said, why do you think RJ got cut when he barely got a shot? Like I just, I just wanted to bring this up, Omari. You probably don't have the necessary answer to this, but it was important just to at least mention that RJ Hampton was waived from the roster. I believe he had no guaranteed money left on his contract. And so I think, again, the Pistons are at 12 roster spots going into free agency, which again is here just in a few days the 30th the tampering period or whatever we refer to it as opens up so any insight on the rj hampton any thoughts on that yeah they just took a flyer on him at the end of the season because he was somebody they were interested in back in 2020 uh as i reported and he did get burned i thought he got a lot of burn toward the end of the season like you know i think i think he did get a shot uh but you know at the end of the year you know teams are out of the playoffs they just get looks at guys see if they could, if they can do anything uh, RJ obviously played a position of strength. I mean, they have K, they have Ivy. K. I mean, you know, we all know how many point guards they have. So, <laughs> uh, you know, this was probably just, yeah, it's not, it's not a su- surprising outcome. You know, he came in, he got a shot to show what he could do. Uh, you know, this could function as an audition for his next team uh, before the Pistons. Just long term, they just didn't really have a great deed to, to continue to take shots on your point guard. You know, and obviously they waived him a couple of days ago. And from Kyle, RJ could still be brought back on a minimum. So it's not like he just couldn't be a part of this organization, but you get rid of him. Kyle, also, while we're doing this, could you give us some insight? I've tried to research a little bit on the changing protections of those draft picks. I know Amari and I touched on that a little bit earlier. So I know, I know you're kind of our CBA guy for Pistons talk. So in general on Twitter, uh, if, if you know that for sure, maybe put that in the comments of the chat. Do you guys think Cam Johnson or nothing this offseason? This is from Bronze Malone. I, I will say that's kind of the biggest name that interests me. And if they missed on him or it was, I would offer Cam Johnson that contract immediately. And then it's 24 hours, force the Nets to show their cards, whether they match or not. If they match, then I'm probably looking at a sin contract, Amari. And then, you know, some other smaller moves. Do you have any, I know we've talked about this a lot, Omari. I know you brought up Dylan Brooks, but is Cam Johnson kind of the number one name that interests you, or is there another name that would be, like, I guess, similar level as Cam Johnson? Uh, I mean, I kind of have Cam Johnson and Jeremy in the same tier. Okay, yeah, Jeremy, sure, down. sure. Yep. You know, a lot of it just kind of comes down to the money for me, and I still need Jeremy just because, like, when after we should the free agent ties your money up, so you, know, you kind of have to be all in, and once you pass on Cam Johnson, if Brooklyn matches, then it's, you know, you're looking at a market that has thinned out a lot more so at that point maybe a trade is more likely yeah i mean i guess i'll put cam and jeremy on a pretty similar tier and if uh you know they pass on uh, cam johnson then 
things get interesting, and we'll see what happens after that. Kyle Metz, in theory, Pistons could change the protections on that pick, but New York would have to agree to whatever those changes are. Likely has to be done before the 2024 lottery. So there is an ability to change protections on a pick, but it has to be agreed upon by both teams. So this is from Doug. He says, Omari, I'm very interested to this answer as well, Omari. Will you be able to get a one-on-one interview with Monty before training camp? More importantly, Doug, can Omari get Monty on the Pistons Pulse? That's all I really care about. I don't really care if Monty, if Omari gets a one-on-one. I want Omari to get Monty <laughs> Williams on the Pistons Pulse. Yeah, I mean, ideally both, so we'll just see. Here's Kyle, a little more insight. Teams can renegotiate protections. Miami has done it before. Typically requires sending something minor out. So if the Pistons wanted to do that, they may have to send out some more of those second-round picks or something like that. Um, Derek Brown, will we ever win more than 25 games, Amari? Is this the year the Pistons – I think they're going to go over 25. That's where I'm at right now. They will never win more than 25 games. <laughs> oh, Sorry, that, Derek. Now he's trolling. <laughs> All right. Um, is a trade likely within two days? So this would be – who's the most likely person to get traded is Boyan really the only name that really stands out to you as a potential you know center of a trade I know we've talked about like maybe Killian would get attached to something I'd be interested if they do bring in all of those big men but I can't imagine they're ready to move on from Wiseman right now maybe Bagley yeah over the next two days like probably not you know I think we'll see stuff got to go down in free agency once the forums really heat up and you know teams have a better picture of what they can and can't do uh, I mean, not, you know, knock on wood, obviously, because you say that then something goes down. But to me, I just don't think the Pistons are going to give up or make any big swings unless it makes sense, right? You know, you go into the offseason with cap space. So uh, if you're giving up some of that cap space or making a big swing before, it has to be a move that, like, checks whatever boxes you're trying to check, which means you're probably getting a really good big defensive wing in that deal or whatnot. So, you know, this, I think there's a chance we see some sort of trade like over the next two days. I mean, I really can't predict the timing of when any trades will go down, but, you know, I do think that they'll be working the phones and be involved in those conversations. Damian Lillard going to get traded, Omari? What do you think? If I was Portland, I would have traded him by now. You know, but I'm always, you know, but I'm, I'm also the, you know, with a ship sale, just blow it up and keep it pushing and I have scoop. So, yeah, if I'm, if I'm Portland, I would trade Dame now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they have the young roster to make it exciting, right? Like you have Scoot, you have Shaden Sharp, Simons, if you want to keep him. My thing is, this is the right time. I mean, and you're going to get a ton of assets back for Dame. So uh, here's what I'm going to go back to from Doug. And Doug was in here earlier. Appreciate it. He said, Bryce, after watching the TV feature on you at American, which he said you should watch Amari. So um, I, I, you probably shouldn't watch it. But um, there is something on YouTube. Uh, what stood out was your form. So my question is, can shooting really be taught, i.e. a SAR? Here's what I'll say, Doug. Like, my mom actually is the one that taught me to shoot. Whenever I was a little kid, she was there working on my form. I started at a lower goal, smaller ball. You know, I wasn't sh- like, and my dad didn't let me shoot threes until middle school. I was not allowed to step outside of 15 feet until I was a seventh grader. So think about what you see kids at eight, nine, 10 year old doing now, I wasn't allowed to do that. So I will say that was the foundation of my shooting. And then guys, I went to the gym literally every single day of my life until I graduated college. So yes, there's some form stuff, but it's also just a ton of hard work and repetition. We've seen a lot of different forms succeed in the NBA, Omari, right? If we took the 10 best shooters in the NBA, not all of their forms look the same and are picture perfect. So I've seen a SARS form. It's good enough that he can be a good shooter, I guess is my answer. There's just a whole bunch of other factors. I'll say this. 
I was a much better shooter than whatever I ever showed on the court because my mental game wasn't as strong as what it should be. I would question shots. I wasn't ultimately confident, those type of things. So there's a whole lot of other factors that go just beyond the form and even hard work and repetition. Yeah, Bryce is a guy that played college basketball. So those are those are various uh, Bryce specific questions. But in general, like players can be taught to shoot. There's all sorts of factors that go into it. And I mean, you know, psychological, physical, like all sorts of things, right? So, you know, I think when you have a player like the, the or players like the Thompson Twins who have had kind of repeated issues with it, you know, kind of makes you wonder if there's maybe something inherent with touch or, you know, form or whatnot. But there's also a lot that they can correct with form. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff that they can just do uh, just from a technique standpoint, that could kind of help them cross to above, you know, at least like 33, 34%, which once you're in that range, you start to get some respect from from defenses. So, uh, you know, it absolutely can be taught. Uh, but Bryce is the, you know, Bryce is the guy with the video on, on Twitter from making like 23s in a row. So I would defer to him on that one. Yeah, and the other thing, Amari, is I don't think Asar has to be a great shooter. And again, we've talked about it over and over. I think he's going to impact, if he's really the player that, we hope he is. He's impacting the game in so many other ways beyond just his three-point shooting. So I think that's continued important to bring up Devion Weems. If you missed it earlier, yes, we. I think Iggy is a comp that we continue to bring up. Um, that's one that we like to use. So Omari, this was a lot of fun. We finally cracked over 100 viewers here on YouTube Live. So thank you, everybody who tuned in. Thank you, everybody watching on YouTube. If you're watching on Twitter, Omari, we finally got on Omari's Twitter. So now people are actually watching because he has so many more Twitter followers than me. Um, if you're listening on podcasts, again, I've seen the ratings, the reviews. We check that stuff all the time. We appreciate it so much. The support, um, guys. This is this is a fun time of the year. Free agency is about to come up. I don't know. We may have some special if there's some big free agency move. But if not, we'll record next weekend. Most likely, we'll drop on Tuesdays. We got the live coming from Vegas, Omari, which will be a lot of fun. We'll get a connect in person. I need to send you a video. Randy showed me a spot today. I was like, man, me and Omari need to go check that spot out for supper, or dinner, or something. So um, we'll get some plans. We'll be out in Vegas and we'll keep talking Pistons. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Omari, any final words? No final words. Just excited for free agency and then to get to record with my buddy Bryce uh, here live in Summer League in a couple of weeks. So I got some exciting stuff coming up for you all. And I'll go ahead and close this out. Uh, big thanks to our executive producer, Arsenet Delgado, our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, and our audio producer, Robert Chan. Also, big shout out to West Davenport, as always. And we will talk to you all next week.